You're listening to Culture Matters, a podcast of the Village Church. This is Adam Griffin, and I'm here as usual with my co-host, Adam Hawkins. And we're joined today by our very special guests, Remy Onayemi and Dane Chinakara. We're going to discuss issues of race, specifically as it relates to some of the current events and Charlottesville, the alt-right movement, and we'll get to hear some of their personal feelings as well as talk about what can a Christian do in light of the world today. Remy Onayemi is a groups minister here at the Flower Mound campus, and she's helped our church think specifically about the issue of race. She's even uh, led a recent lunch panel with our elders and their spouses on this topic. Remy, real quick, how did that go? It was fantastic. It was very encouraging, just the feedback we received from the elders, and I think that they found it beneficial based on what they said. So it was great. That's great. I heard great things about it. Similarly, we're joined today by Dane Chinakara, who's a covenant member with me at the Dallas campus, and he's joined me in several conversations with some of our elders and some of our other people at the campus to think about this issue specifically. Dane, how are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Good. I'm so glad you guys are here. So let me set up the conversation a little bit. Uh, this wasn't the podcast we'd kind of originally planned, although this is certainly a topic we care a lot about and we've seen it in the news a lot lately. So we wanted to make sure that we had set aside some time uh, to talk about race specifically. Uh, that's the reason we have in the room the people we do because I love what Remy has to say about this. I love what Dane has to say about this. I sometimes love what Adam has to say about things. He always has a lot of opinions <laughs> that make me think. But race continues to be a major topic of conversation in the United States and is in particular – Almost the name of the city, Charlottesville, has kind of become a buzzword lately. When you say Charlottesville, you kind of associate it with an alt-right protest, a counter-protest, the woman who passed away tragically, uh, what happened there, and then what has been the aftermath of that. Connected with that might be uh, monuments to the Confederacy. Even here in Dallas, uh, there was a, a city council vote to remove Robert E. Lee statues downtown. Anyway, we want to talk about all these current events. We want to look at specifically today, how can a Christian respond in the midst of this? What can a Christian think in the midst of this? And then how do we go deeper? So before we go deep, let's start at kind of a top level. Let's talk about racism in general. I would, I would love it if anybody here feels like, hey, this is the way I personally would define racism for us. And, and one of the reasons I want to start there is I do feel like a lot of people at the village that I've talked to uh, think they know what it is in other people, but do not see it in themselves, if that makes sense. So I've talked to a lot of people who think, yeah, racism is a big issue, and a lot of people don't think they're a contributor to it. And I think it's maybe a little bit broader than what most people think. Like, what is racism? I will do my best to answer that. I, I, I think of it in my mind in two different components. So I think about racial prejudice and racial bias, okay. which we often say racism, and that's what we really mean is we're talking about prejudice and bias, which I think all people can have. And then racism, um, I think about systemic racism and how people in positions of power can um, – infiltrate institutions, et cetera, with systemic racism. So I think racial bias and then I think racism, but that doesn't give a, uh, an exact definition. Um, I would say the sociologists, at least the sociologists that I've been reading, seem to define racism as a power structure. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's really helpful. I, I don't know if you guys have read uh, Divided by Faith. Maybe yeah. some guys have read that. Remy, you've read that. One of the things it talks about there is that we live in a racialized 
culture that like it's not just racism, this power structure that exists and the idea that I think my race or any race is more important or more valuable or more powerful than others or some people uh, have less meaning. But racialized culture kind of takes that to the extent of saying everything in our culture is colored to some extent by either historically or currently what we think about race, stereotypes, assumptions we make about people. And I love what you talked about there in the systemic idea of racism and how it's not just it's not just individuals who have particular opinions, but some of the systems we have set up in America. So let's talk about why and how racism is a sin, like what is wrong with it, what the Bible has to say about it. I love to Adam, our resident pastor in the room. Somebody comes to you and says, "Hey, I feel like there's racism in my heart. I want to deal with it. I want to get this out, or I like I confront the sin of racism, or even collectively, uh, how do we look at that as a culture? Is racism a sin, and why?" I think you maybe asked me 14 questions in that <laughs> string right there. <laughs> I was trying to give you enough time to so think me, of an answer yeah, to no, one no, of them. I appreciate that. <laughs> let, me, let, me, um, let me just start out with the first one. Uh, is this fir- first, we just have to address, is racism a sin? Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, and I, I don't know that that's a controversial position within our church uh, and within with the majority of Christians. Um, I think there's other follow-up questions to have, like do we treat it differently? Are we serious enough about it? And those kind of questions. But just first and foremost, racism is a sin. I think the second thing to say is it's not an unpardonable sin. So if somebody does come and say, uh, I sense racism in my own heart, or, or maybe even comes with with a racist opinion. I think, um, or or belief system. I think uh, it is the job of the the Christian to respond, um, and respond in a way that's engaging and winsome and loving, um, yeah. and and uh, that like we would anybody who came to us with a, any struggle, any, any mm-hmm. struggle or sin. Yeah. Um, now, w- you've got to nuance that by saying based on particular sins. There are things that are helpful, like there's different responses in terms of nuance, like what, what's helpful to respond to. I don't mean that in terms of levels or something, sure. but, but you're not going to – yeah, anyways, we can, we can get into that. So with racism, if somebody comes and says, uh, I'm racist or I, I sense racism in my heart, I think we do what we would always do, which is to, um, to, to say, man, are you serious about repentance and what, what is repentance from this sin particular sin look like. Now, when you start talking systemically Mm -hmm. and you start talking about um, um, institutionalized racism, then you get into something that's more difficult, right? And I think we need to repent of it. I think where where the church should be talking about this is where has that existed in the church Mm -hmm. and how, what does it look like in the church even today? What are the vestiges of systemic racism? Man, I think those are like, even if we just started there is the church, I think it would go a long way. I I mean, look, like um, we are part of, uh, let's just blow this thing up. We're part of the SBC. The SBC was started uh, out of a racist position in their hearts. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, it was started to exclude and devalue you and dehumanize uh, certain human beings made in the image of God. So are there going to be vestiges of that left over? Uh, I think we should be really honest about taking a look at that and approaching that. So I, I've tried to 
answer m- maybe some of those 14 questions you just asked right there. I'm not sure how good of a job I, <laughs> I did with that. Um, but yeah. That's really good. Yeah, something, Remy, you brought up a second ago that I wanted to address. You talked about kind of a, a nuance of bias and how mm-hmm. everybody has a bias. And that's something we talked about actually on a podcast we did on News in here about is there such a thing as an unbiased opinion? And we have stereotypes that are formed and a lot of stereotypes are formed based on what a person believes is real evidence because I've seen this, then this equals that. And uh, I want to talk for a second. You brought up, Adam, systemic versus individual. One of the things I did recently was survey a lot of the people at the Village Church. And it was interesting when I asked, is it an advantage to be white in Dallas? Almost 100% of the Village uh, respondents said, yes, we think it's an advantage to be white. But then when we asked a question about, do you think you contributed all to uh, kind of racial uh, – a lack of racial reconciliation or racial injustice. A lot of most of our people said, "No, I don't think I contribute." So they acknowledge there's some systemic disadvantagement, like it is a an advantage to be of a certain race in our city, and yet they did not acknowledge that they in any way contribute to that. So they were saying, in essence, there's a systemic problem, but I don't think I'm part of the individual problem. Dan, can you talk to us a little bit about maybe the difference between those two things? Nuance. Uh, individual racism versus a systemic racism and how maybe maybe today we can finally solve the problem of how <laughs> how we address both of those. I'm not asking you that. But yeah, just talk through that a little bit. Well, the way I look at systemic uh, racism, you know, is um, it's all an effect of the fall, you know. That's and when, when sin came into the world and what happened at Eden, um, the world was broken and everything that we know, art, relationships, our will, everything was broken. And so um, this racism is part of that brokenness. And mm-hmm. so coming from that, um, if we don't acknowledge that, this can be systemic and it will just keep going and keep going and going. And if it's not resolved and we're not confronting the issue, um, it will just keep going. And so uh, what you're having is uh, sometimes those people who are saying that they don't contribute to yeah. this – um, sometimes it could be part of some indoctrination. indoctrination. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be that um, their parents probably bought them up, um, not thinking that they're um, introducing racism, but mm-hmm. they're just teaching them what they know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they don't know any better. And the, mm-hmm. and, and the kids are just indoctrinated, and um, and that and a lot of that will not be challenged until members like all of us we respond and we. Uh, confront those issues and and we say, hey, I think you have a blind spot here, and mm-hmm. I think you need to take a look here, and see if this is something that you need to uh, work on, um, and see maybe there is some kind of contribution you have made to this. And so, individually, it's more like if you see racism and you're not doing something about it, you're being passive, then you are sinning individually, you know, mm-hmm. on an individual. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. I think there's yeah helping our people understand the difference between yeah there are systems that are broken and everyone does have bias and just because you don't consider yourself a racist doesn't mean you're part of the solution which is a need for breaking down barriers between people which is what the gospel does right, right. is the the gospel is something that reconciles not only man to God but man to one another and sure. so if we see the gospel at work in a diverse city then you would think what we would see is diverse neighborhoods and diverse mm-hmm. workplaces mm-hmm. and diverse right. churches. Mm-hmm. And instead what we tend to see, and this may be as evidence of the systemic issues that still exist, maybe it's vestiges, is that you kind of see still neighborhoods that are pretty homogenous. Right. Different parts of the yeah. city mm-hmm. are different racial mm-hmm. divides. Mm-hmm. And you see that in some workplaces, but certainly in churches. You'll see churches that tend to be one ethnicity 
or another. I know for a long time you were at a majority Indian church, correct? Right. And mm-hmm. I, I and I've been at majority white churches my whole life. I don't know what your full church background, Remy, mm-hmm. but maybe you were at a majority black church. At I some... grew up at a majority black church, and then in my adult life, I've been in predominantly white churches. Okay, mm-hmm. and so we have even some of us in this room. We've lived that example of like there's been some reason why people have. You know, it's either self-selected or there's some systemic reasons why people have been divided. By neighborhood, it'd be nice to say this was self-selecting. People wanted to live apart. But the truth is you can look back at our country Mm -hmm. and the history and there's been governmental decision-making and local decision-making that said, no, these races will live here and these here, that we still live in the results of that, if not the perpetuation of that today. Uh, do you think – and Adam, let's come back to you because you've, you've addressed this really well on sin already in my first 14 questions. <laughs> yes. But uh, do <laughs> Thank you, you think – for that, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll make this really simple. Okay. Do you think we treat racism as a sin differently than other sins as a church? Um, so I think one of the questions we have to start out by asking here, – here's what's difficult with this conversation. Uh, his, we cannot shy away from the fact that historically people have used warp theology to support – um, racism. That's true. Uh, and so, you know, w- even in the first question of is racism a sin, I think we need to, y- you, you have to start by building a systematic theology of who man is and what God calls us to be. And I think when you look in the scriptures and you, and you're honest about what the Bible says about human beings, it says we're all made in the image of God. There's no distinction there. Um, and then you see, um, even God, uh, in the promises he makes to Abraham, he says, through your line, I'm going to bless every Every nation. He's talking to everybody, right? Yeah. There's no racism in that. Um, he's choosing a particular bloodline to accomplish his purposes in the Old Testament. But then in the New Testament, what we see is Jesus says he comes to save the world, not to condemn it. The definition of the world <laughs> is what I hope is it's obvious, <laughs> but it's everybody. Yeah. Um, you have um, just very clearly stated there when it comes to salvation, there's neither Jew nor Greek. You see over and over again in Paul's missionary journey and going out to the Gentiles um, who would have been seen by the Jews as a different race, basically, a different people. You know, they wouldn't have used that term, but a different people, different tribe altogether. Uh, you see um, these people being reconciled unto the Lord, um, the Gentiles, as well as the Jews, right? And so you do see this fulfillment of saying, yeah, w- there are differences between who we are as a people, our languages, our cultures, in effect. But when it comes to the Lord, uh, we are to love one another a certain way. I mean, it calls the church to be this different sort of place. And then obviously in Revelation, we see that um, every tribe, tongue, and nation will be worshiping together. Right. And that is a really beautiful picture of reconciliation and, and you know, all this brokenness. And, and as Dane was saying before about just the um, – about racism being a product of the fall, you get to see this – this beautiful fulfillment of every tribe, tongue, and nation now coming together under one banner, uh, arm in arm, worshiping the Lord together. And so I think I just I think it's really important to start there because of the ways in the past the Bible has been used to justify some some racism, which is I mean we could spend time talking about it, but honestly, uh, uh, you know it's it's bad theology. I'll just say that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then your uh, second question is: Do we treat racism differently than other sins? I think. I would love to hear from Remy and Dane on this a little bit. I think there is a way the church um, in some ways has ignored it, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. Um, because of racism, okay? And then I think there's some ways the church has ignored it, ignored it because of fear. Mm-hmm. And then I think there's some ways the church has ignored it um, because um, 
of of just ignorance, right? Of just not knowing, not knowing what to do or what to say. And so, do we treat it differently than other sins? There, there. It, I mean. Uh, to be honest with you, it's perplexing how little the church actually talks about it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I'll say. And, and what we've seen is that when you talk about it, even just a little, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. once a year and once a year in a prayer service, we talk about racial reconciliation. Right. Hopefully, we're doing better than that. But I'm just saying, you know, by experience, what we've seen is like it seems like the you know every, everything explodes. When yeah, all, people, get and all you, people get really fired up, and all your, I mean, basically, you're dedicating one service a year. So it's it's sort of interesting to me. We 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 typically. Um, I think the church typically remains pretty silent on the issue, if I can be honest. How have you guys felt about that, Dana yes, and Remy? I definitely – I have so many thoughts and so little time to talk about that. But <laughs> I will say in my experience – so I've come to the South from Chicago. Mm-hmm. And um, my experience since I've been in the South is if you ask a Christian, do you ever struggle with lust or anger or pride or any of those things, they will – typically readily admit, yeah, I struggle with those things. It's sanctification is a process. If you ask, do you struggle with racism, the sin of racism, most will say absolutely not. No, mm. never, right? Because I think they're thinking about the KKK. They're right. thinking about the alt-right. They have been taught, I love what you said earlier, Dane, about their indoctrination. They have been taught that that is what racism is, and they don't right. realize that it really is just at, at its root. It's pride, and it's mm. the sin of partiality, and then there's also deception involved. In Ephesians 6, it talks about that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, etc. And so I think what the enemy loves to do is to keep people deceived into thinking, I am not a racist. I never struggle with this issue. Therefore, I'm comfortable in my ethnically homogenous church, Mm -hmm. and I don't really have to step outside of my comfort zone because Mm -hmm. I am not a racist, and I have five you know, friends of, of color. Right. So that's one thought. Let me ask you this, because I know what your answer is, and I think it's fascinating. One of the things we've said as a church is one of the ways you can do something here is make friends with someone who's a different race than you. Mm-hmm. And when we say that in a mostly white church, yes. we can excuse actual action by just saying, well, if we're all friends with somebody who's different than us, yeah. then we're all right. Yeah. Have you experienced or been huh. inundated as huh. like people's one friend who's not white? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, I sometimes wonder if people want to be my friend to just to ease something internally of saying, okay, I'm not a racist. See, I'm good friends with Remy. And that's mm. difficult. But then I also have friends that I believe actually love me as their friend and want to get to know me, not because I'm an African-American woman, because they want to know who I am. So, yes, I yeah. see that a lot. Yeah, Dane, how has this felt for you, man? Do you yeah. feel like the church is, is addressing this often enough, well? Yeah, I mean, I just want to tag on to what she was just saying as well. I mean, sometimes that is a struggle of being a minority in the in the village church, right? Is Is like... People do want to. Uh, people want, don't want to be, uh, look like they're racist, and so they might, as a token, be your friend. But mm. how deep do you know me, and mm. how, do you really care about my wife? Do you really care about my kids? Do you do you really care about where I came from? My experiences. Do you do you care about who I am as much as, let's say, uh, people who are from my ethnic background mm-hmm. share and. You know, we gel really well, mm-hmm. uh, and I badly want to believe that the gospel can redeem these things. Mm-hmm. And and I, like Remy was saying, I do have friendships within the church, like you and Jonathan, right. like who 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 have taken deep interest in me and my family, and mm-hmm. and um, and and have shown me that I'm not such a token. And so, um, and to and, and to just to add to that, I want to kind of uh, say what Bo Hughes said just a few months ago that we have to acknowledge uh, the. You know the whiteness, mm-hmm. right, or the yeah. blackness, or mm-hmm. you know, depending on the majority population of mm-hmm. whatever country mm-hmm. you're in. Um, and so he mentioned normativity, uh, white transparency, 
structural advantage. These yeah. are these are things that um, people of the village uh, we need to like what you're saying. Hey, I don't think I'm contributing to this. They're in 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 denial of these three factors. Right. I would say so. Well, let's uh, let's stay personal here and let's talk about some of the current events. So mm-hmm. recently on the news, we saw what happened in Charlottesville. Maybe you saw pictures or videos of people carrying torches and marching and mm-hmm. counter protesting and a a man driving a car into a crowd of people. I just want to hear before we get into kind of what do Christians think about this and what do we do? Just how did that feel? What was the sense in you or in those you talked to as you walked it, knowing that like not all of us have the same mind and the same view, which is kind of why we talk about this. Yeah. But what what resonated with you when you were watching that? Absolutely. So I was in Virginia. We had gone to uh, the African-American Smithsonian Museum for a friend's birthday, and we were living in Virginia. And then we didn't know what was going on. And, and I'm going to share this, but um, I was crossing the street to join some friends. And I remember there was this older white gentleman in his car, and I was like coming close to the car, and he looked petrified. Like mm. he thought I was going to open his car door. And I was like, why? You know, I was just like, what in the world? Why is he looking at me? <laughs> and then we got in the car and we saw all all of the things that were happening and Mm. we learned it. What was interesting, and I noticed that the three of us that were together had a similar sentiment. One, we thought that was horribly tragic, Um, like many events that have happened in our country, horribly tragic. Um, I think for many, it began to awaken in them and help them understand that racism is still an issue in this country. Many were trying to make me believe that because we had an African-American president at one point, that racism had gone away. You know, it felt like gaslighting, if you know that term, Mm -hmm. when you're doing counseling and people try to tell you, you know, everything's fine. What are you talking about? So that's what it felt like. But another thing that is harder to say and maybe hard to hear is that I feel as though when these issues begin to impact my white brothers and sisters, meaning it negatively impacts white people, then people begin, churches begin to speak out and say, hey, we've got an issue here. We need to pray. We need to get together. Dallas is is an example of that. The Dallas police officer shooting, which was horrific. Mm-hmm. Horrific, but then people began to see, see this is an issue. I think Charlottesville is like that as well. Uh, the, the sisters that I was with, all of us, we weren't shocked by that because mm. of so much that has been happening happening in our country. But there were some who were shocked because it hadn't been happening to people who were white. Yeah, that's very. Let me a- let me ask. Th- this is helpful for me. So, in other words. Um, there's a sense in which this is a part of a narrative for you. There's a history here. Yes. So you see a Charlottesville and it's not that it's, it's not that you look at it and you're saying, wow, that's deeply tragic. You're saying that it's yes. not that you look at it and say, wow, that's deeply troubling. You're saying that, yes. but you're saying it makes sense given the history that I've lived, that I see, Currently, that I acknowledge. Well-documented patterns in history. That's right. Where you're saying maybe uh, your right, white brothers and sisters are ignorant or for whatever reason, mm-hmm. it's more like, oh, wow, this is happening. Yeah. And you're, and so for you, it's sort of like, well, of course it is. And for them, it's like, I had no idea, you yeah. know, or something like that. Absolutely. Okay. That's helpful. Yeah. What about you, Dane? When you, when you're seeing these things on the news and, and I think your perspective might be really helpful for us knowing that like, Hey, Adam and I are both white men. Remy is a black woman. So when we see these things, sometimes we get caught up in kind of the, the historical narrative of this is a white and black thing. Mm-hmm. But you bring a perspective of somebody who's of Indian descent and mm-hmm. you get to see stuff like this on the news. What what are you hearing? What are you seeing? Sure. Um, well, you know, when we think about the alt-right, when we think about the white uh, nationalist supremacists, I don't want to pull them all together, but you know what I mean. Um, they're also themselves, they validate themselves 
or propagate their ideas um, by sometimes even creating the pseudo spirituality or pseudo religion, mm-hmm. you know, um, sometimes even bringing up Christian ideals mm-hmm. uh, to validate their agenda. Um, and yet they don't want to follow the ideals, Christian ideals of loving their neighbor right. um, and um, having compassion. And so with, with that being said, um, I personally have not been affected as, let's say, an African-American would be affected personally, right? But the fact that I know that it exists mm-hmm. helps me wonder, okay, wonder if this is prevalent. And I wonder if this is just going to keep going. And if that's the case, will it be prevalent in schools? And my kids are in school. Is this going to influence my kids? And now it's going to uh, instill fear now, mm. yeah. you know, in me and my wife and, and yeah. my family. That seems like so. such a theme in so many things we talk about is the Christian response in the uh, – not in the godly response, but the opposite is fear or in some people shame. Maybe they feel a bias in their heart and they feel shame or maybe they see bias in other people and they feel fear. But that – to me, those can't be the godly response. Like we never see that in the gospel mm-hmm. is the the Lord doesn't show up and say, OK, guys, be afraid and be ashamed mm-hmm. you know, or, hey, feel feel guilty about this. But he does call out sin. He does say this is – this is wrong. He does do the opposite where he points to like, who is your neighbor? Well, it's not who you would think. Mm -hmm. And you think like being this one race or being this one group of people, you think you're better than other people. You're not, you, we are all in the same boat. We are all in need of a savior. Mm -hmm. We are all in desperate need of the gospel. Before we kind of get to what can Christians do and and close out, let's talk for a couple minutes about something you mentioned. We've mentioned a couple of times, the alt-right movement, and people, I assume most people who are listening have probably heard the terms alt-right movement, white supremacy. I think we've already done a good job explaining those are not the only versions of racism in the world. And if you're not a member of the KKK or a member of an alt-right movement or a neo-Nazi movement, then you are free from racism. But that is absolutely something I think our people struggle with. But what is the alt-right movement? Where does it come from? Where does it start? Can anybody help me understand this? Uh, first of all, I think it's – I don't know if you guys are experts in it or not. I'm not. I will say I know it is not a monolith. There are lots of different perspectives that are represented. There are some that are white nationalists, are KKK-influenced, are, are you know in the family tree of the KKK or Nazis and all. So there's sort of this disparate deal. But then you also have people who are – uh, they think that it's more ethnocentrism. They think, well, Western values are better than anybody else's right. values, right? So the or and you even have the they call it the alt light, which is not the alt right. It's it's they hold to some of those like nationalism and mm-hmm. some of these kind of ideas. Like we got to put America first in a in a sort of darker way. I don't know. I don't know how to flesh that out perfectly. But you do. You have lots of different voices. The one thing I will say um, is that. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say none of them represent the Christian perspective, mm-hmm. right. um, which I think is just helpful to know. Here's yeah. why. Almost all of them right, uh, are nationalistic. Almost mm-hmm. all of them would say um, either we need to look at our people first in the country or we need to look at our people group first. And they mm-hmm. might not say that out of racism, but just say, hey, it's not, you know, whatever, some tribalism or something like that. Um, that's all of that's not Christian. It's just not. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's interesting to note uh, in the little bit of research I've done is some of the bigger uh, voices in the movement, whether racist or not, uh, or outright racist, I should say, or not, 
uh, they really, really want to make inroads into the evangelical movement. Mm-hmm. Um, some of that is because for and however I, we can debate the numbers all day long and what they mean and what the term evangelical means, but over eighty percent of evan- self-identified evangelicals voted for Trump, and Trump has been a uh, a, a rallying cry for the alt-right in some sense. They thought that this would be their president. Um, uh, and whether that's come to fruition, we can all debate all those kind of things. But the reality is they see their future by making inroads into uh, the evangelical movement. You can go and research this. It's really fascinating to me because most of them aren't Christians. A lot of them are young. A lot of them have this sort of European identity movement thing happening. Uh, and um, they don't see Christian. They don't, they don't like evangelicals for the most part. Part because evangelicals have softer this is just the statistics and polling have softer stances on things like immigration which obviously they're against immigration if they're nationalists and stuff like that so um, but they want to make friends with evangelicals and I, personally what scares me about that is that is just the history of evangelicalism some of the strains of racism we've seen in evangelicalism and how these lines are already starting to get blurred and i'm you know there's lots of things we could say here but that i think it's something we need to be cognizant of of, and careful of sure yeah I don't know if that. No, that's great. They sound like a dangerous group too. They're not necessarily like embracing mainstream conservatism. They're like an off group. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah. I have thoughts on that too because I think they do sound dangerous and I think that we focus on them, but I think it's easier for Christians to look at them and say bad, you know. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Um, right. And I think the work of the enemy is a lot more deceptive than that and That's really you know good, a Rainey. lot less overt. And so I'm actually a little bit I think it's more dangerous those who are silent, those yeah. who are apathetic, those who are not taking uh, the steps to learn about how this can be inf- infiltrating their own hearts and yeah. their own minds. And so That's really good, I, I am more afraid of of that form of racism mm. than I am afraid of the alt-right or white nationalists. Because they're easier to identify, they're right? Easier and easier to say sin. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, anytime that we talk about this, and I'm sure people won't, they'll just see it posted online, they won't even listen to the program, this will be the response. Or, and this, uh, all cards on the table, what I'm about to talk about drives me absolutely bonkers. Like just, I, I'm going to join you in that so that you. if people want to email us, they can. It drives me nuts for <laughs> okay. so many reasons, but go ahead. <laughs> Thank you. Like when I've written on, I, I wrote once on the civil rights movement and on uh, uh, World War II and what the Nazis did to the Jews. And somebody's response was, but what about what, what we did to Native Americans? I was like, okay, okay, that is worthwhile talking about. That is a fine topic. When we've talked before about white nationalism and alt-right movement, people's response is, but what about mm-hmm. – and they'll name some other group, Black, mm-hmm. Li- Black Lives mm-hmm. Matter or you name it. There's mm-hmm. a whole bunch of groups that people's response is, fine, you're talking about that, but what about this? And it, to me, it's such a, a strange misdirect from the topic to say it, it's not that that's not a valuable uh, question to say what do we think about other movements and other sins, but it's it's like saying let's talk about anger and saying yeah, but you're not talking at all about shame mm-hmm. and go well, yeah, there are other things we could talk about, but let's talk about just for a minute just to kind of ease the tension. What about these other groups? If somebody says what about Black Lives Matter? I feel like people do things in the name of that organization that the mm-hmm. church should be speaking against. Sure. Or uh, let's just what do you guys have to say about that? Somebody says that Matt has a great resource on the TVC resources page, a quick little video talking about what about Black Lives matter, I would point people in that that direction. But what I would say is, uh, for example, when we're talking about Houston and the devastation there or other areas impacted by the hurricane, 
um, if I say because I'm sh- I'm from Chicago, well, what about all the violence in Chicago while right. we're talking about the devastation in Houston? I think that would be very insensitive Absolutely. of me um, and prideful a little bit. And so I feel like it's similar when people have that rebuttal response. When the church talks about abortion and the sin of abortion and we talk about the sanctity of life, I don't even think while we're talking about abortion, people say, well, what about the elderly? You know, and it's to me that simplistic and that boiled down that is not always very helpful. You're exactly right. I feel the same way. Let's uh, let's come towards landing the plane right now and talk about what the. What the church can do, what we can advise our people in light of, man, we talked about some stuff that obviously we could talk about for hours, the alt-right movement. We didn't give a full rounded picture. I get, there's going to be things we can pick apart in here. But it, the the weight on my heart right now of just the brokenness of humanity and looking at each other and just at the outside being able to say, this is what I think about you or feeling hatred in their heart towards a stranger and then claiming that that's because of what they believe about our God and claiming Christ that has led them to this. What man, what does the church maybe let's start corporately? What does um what does the village church uh do about this? How does how do we address this? How do we come at this? How do we as their ministers, pastors and Dane as uh, home groups coach, home group leader, what do we advise people to do? This is what the church should be doing and this is what we in leadership should be telling people. Well, as a Christian, as Christians, there are there are a few things we can be doing, we should do. First of all, we should come at it with humility. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's the first step. Um, I mean, we can go back to Philippians two, and it talks about you know how Christ had emptied himself, um, went to the cross, um, and he 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 humbled himself. And so we should come with that same response when we're at the church, um, whether it's in home groups or whether it's among the congregation. How can we be humble in these conversations uh, instead of having our walls up? I would say the humility is huge. And I would also say this. I just want to swing the pendulum the other way. There should be a safe place Mm -hmm. to have conversations on both sides. Right? So like obviously racism is wrong and there might be some passive racism going on on one side and maybe they're thinking they're not contributing to racism but there's all there's also there should be a safe place for them to say what they're really feeling and maybe that yeah. might take a little bit of probing and there must be a pl- there are there are people within the church and some people call the silent majority who voted for Trump because a lot of them felt silenced and they didn't, they couldn't mm. be able to say what they wanted to say and they went and they made their voice heard during elections mm. and so um not necessarily to validate that but to 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 think about that that there are people within the church who might not be voicing what they feel like because they're scared and so there needs to be safe place for both parties to talk this out and to communicate and talk about the humility of Christ and coming from that perspective um, and then and just and and it, it might start as small as starting with home groups you know yeah. talking about it with your group and yeah. hey let's talk about this are you struggling with this this is my experience I have someone in my home group who have just said hey I, my, my parents were racist and I grew up racist and, mm-hmm. and 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 he was in tears and he confessed that he's not like that anymore and mm-hmm. those conversations need to happen those things break down walls and allows people to have more conversations um, wow, Dane, what a great point finding a safe place for those like if we're going to say this is a sin we're going to call out mm-hmm. having a safe place for people to confess they're struggling with it yeah. that is a great point let's close on this question why isn't and we've touched on this concept a couple times 
why isn't just saying and believing the right thing enough? Why isn't it just saying like I, I'm not a contributing factor to it? Why isn't it enough to say I don't feel like I am racist? So how do like why isn't that enough? I think our actions always line up with our beliefs. Uh, we say that in our Christian faith, right? That if we say we believe something in the Bible, but our actions don't line up with that, then perhaps we don't actually believe that way. And so there's something going on. I would wonder if I say I believe something, but I don't have any action whatsoever to back that up. I want to speak a little bit about safe places and what that means, because I agree. I think that um, being an African-American woman who has chosen to be part of a predominantly Caucasian church Mm -hmm. means that I know that I'm going to have many conversations. And so if you have a relationship with me, please come and ask questions because I want to be Mm -hmm. a safe place. And and I understand that there's a lot of questions and a lot of confusion, but I what I think a safe place is not is to think that a safe place means there won't be conflict or that there won't mm. be disagreement because That's we can good. look in the scriptures and see when uh, Jewish people got together with, with non-Jewish people that there was conflict sometimes and they had to fight to be united yeah. and fight to be one. And so that's a safe place. Don't think if you come to me that we're going to, I'm just going to make you feel comfortable, right? right? And and if you have uh, feelings of white superiority, et cetera, I'm not going to make you feel comfortable in it, but I am a safe place for you to know, oh, the gospel of Jesus Christ covers that sin just yeah. like it covers mine. That's so good, Remy. I it's think- okay to say, it's okay to like say the wrong thing. Oh, it's okay. Good. Amen. It's okay if you if you make a mistake. It's okay to say the wrong phrase. It, there's a lot of grace here. I mean, if you're my, if you're my like actual biological brother and you said something wrong, I'm not. You're not out of my family. You're, I'm not going to say you're not my brother anymore. You're stuck. We're stuck. Yeah, yeah. We're reconciled by Christ. And so here we are. Let's say the wrong things and let's 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 uh, be united together in yeah. all these issues. So. Yeah. That's so good. There's, there's probably, uh, you know, there's so many more things we could talk about that would be like on the ground. These are the next things we think you could do or should do. And there are so many. One of the things I know we've talked about before that I just want to share as we conclude is the church has talked before about look at your friend group and, and look at what views you have. Cause there is kind of an assumption in every one of us that the way we see the world, we kind of assume this is the way the world is instead of understanding that everyone sees the world a little bit differently. We Christians see the world one way and those who aren't Christians don't. And those, my race also is one of those things that is an identifier that maybe I don't see the world the same way other people do. And when, when I surveyed the village church, one of the things that was really surprising to me in the results was just how homogenous our friend groups were, that if you are white and you go to our church, most likely almost all of your closest friends are white. And if you are a minority and you go to the church, our church, it was very similar. Like most likely you're one of very few of your race and your closest friends that we travel in a very white culture. And that the way we think about this, if we were talking to, you know, the Chinese Baptist church around the corner or the Mexican Baptist church around the corner, maybe completely different viewpoint on the same topic, coming from the same Bible and living in the same city. And so saying, how can I broaden my horizons? Not by just saying, I have a friend who's not the same race as me, but by saying like, I have entered into a conversation, like you said, and you said that I hope is a safe place, but does not mean we will see the things the same way. We will agree the same way. But in order to understand how, how big the divide is, and then to say the gospel is what says can break down barriers between any people. So I, I want to have have friendships. I want to have experiences. I want to go to places that help me get outside and understand uh, where if I only go where I'm comfortable, I'm not getting the whole picture of what the Lord has called me to, to Adam's point earlier mm-hmm. about what the kingdom of God will look like. So mm-hmm. Remy, Dane, thanks for joining me and Adam today, having this important conversation. Yeah. I really appreciate your insight. We could probably do four more episodes on yeah. this, but thank you so mm-hmm. much for being here today. Mm-hmm.
Thank you. If there's anything you heard on the show that you'd like to know more about, you can find details on our website, tvcresources.net. We'll see you next time, and God bless.